Hey everybody, this is Arpit. I'm the CTO at AppSmith, which is a very popular open source low code project. And this is my journey from creating SaaS startups to open source projects now. This is the MongoDB Podcast. My name is Shane McAllister and welcome to the show. We're grateful to have you join us for yet another episode. The last couple of years, the low-code, no-code movement has been gaining traction. And in this episode, we talk with AppSmith, a low-code, no-code dashboard and admin panel builder tool for your data, wherever that may be, including MongoDB, amongst others. In this conversation with Mike Lin, Arpit Mohan, AppSmith's CTO, talks about his journey into engineering and programming, from dismantling home electronics, building soccer playing robots, and ultimately about founding AppSmith. AppSmith is open source, sharing the same roots as MongoDB, and can be used on-prem or in the cloud. Arpit talks about why AppSmith went down the open source route in the beginning and the benefits that that brings and talks to us to their current implementation of AppSmith and their future roadmap. Let's get started. Arpit, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing really, really well, uh, Michael. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, where, where are you joining me from? I am based out of uh, India, Silicon Valley, Bangalore. Bangalore. Okay, great. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about your background and then get into a discussion about AppSmith, a low-code, no-code uh, development platform that you helped create. So would you help the listeners understand a little bit more about yourself? Tell the folks who you are and what you do. So I am the CTO and the chief maintainer of AppSmith, uh, which is a low-code, as you said, a low-code open-source project. It's a fantastic tool to build in primarily internal applications, uh, especially if you want to build admin panels, dashboards, or operational dashboards on top of that talk directly to your database or directly to your API. So you don't have to muck around with HTML, CSS, or React uh, that much. You can just drag and drop UI components, connect them to your database in your private uh, uh, VPC behind your own firewalls, and just get up and running really, really quickly. So that, that's the project that I lead today. And mm-hmm. I'm very, very excited to kind of talk a little bit more about uh, how we got here. Yeah, I, I would love to talk a little bit more about how you created AppSmith, but let's back it up just a bit. Uh, I understand you have quite an interesting background, starting from early childhood and your curious mind. How did you get interested in technology from very early on? So I've been interested in technology for since whenever I can kind of remember. I was, I think, inspired from my dad, who who was uh, in my mind at least, like you know, quote unquote, a real engineer. He used he moved moved around with tools with spanners and hammers. He was a mechanical engineer. And growing up, I always just wanted to be like him. So I would take his uh, screwdrivers and I would unscrew everything around the house, right from the VCR, the television. And uh, I'm going (laughs) to date myself a little bit. I unscrewed like the Tamaguchi, which for people who are too young to remember, it was a little virtual pet that you kept on your keychain. And uh, just to kind of see what was inside everything. And uh, I don't know what I expected, the eight-year-old or 10-year-old me expected, but out came this little green chip, this little controller that came out. I was a little underwhelmed to find that there was not a real dinosaur or a real dog inside that little <laughs> keychain. And as I unscrewed you know, other devices, I kept finding these keychains, sort of uh, these uh, little microcontrollers show up again and again. And that's when I mm. got very fascinated about all the worlds that have been built on top of this little green chip. 
And ever since then, I've been, you know, uh, I started to code. I started to kind of just invest a lot more time into building these worlds. Moving on from there, ended up building India's first humanoid. I was heavily into robotics at that point. And it did two things, I think, which are maybe probably the most worthwhile things uh, in life. Uh, it could dance and it played football. So <laughs> the only two things that mattered. Well, I, and, that's incredible. I, I got to stop you there. That That's incredible. How did you get a, a robot? to, well, dance, but but play football? Yeah, so uh, there's, uh, I mean, the field of robotics is like very, very advanced now. Uh, this is something that I was talking about maybe uh, about 14 years ago, 15 years ago. So it was basically a humanoid robot. So it had two legs, two mm -hmm. arms, a body, and a head. The head was a yeah. camera, and it basically tracked a yellow ball on a green field. So it was it just followed like a little tracking mechanism, tried to mm -hmm. walk towards the ball and kick it uh, for Anybody who's interested, just search for robot football on uh, YouTube. And there are some very, very fascinating uh, competitions. And you'd be surprised how, you know, we are not already competing with, uh, like humans aren't competing with uh, robots in FIFA World Cup. Like that's, yeah. very, that's around the corner. Outstanding. So I'll include links in the show notes. So make sure you're, if you're listening along and you're curious, check the show notes and we'll have some links there for you. So was that at the university level when you got involved in robotics? Yes. So that was at the university level. After we graduated, I uh, started my journey with a low-code company uh, back in 2009, 2010. It was, this word didn't exist. Back then, it was called uh, Rapid Application Development or Business App Development uh, called mm. Kony Labs. So I started my journey there and uh, did multiple startups post that. So AppSmith is actually the third startup that we're doing. Um, mm -hmm. So through this journey of startups, uh, you know, I had a chance to work on a lot of different areas uh, ranging from logistics, AI, fintech, telecom. And in the middle, we kind of also did a mobile game, which coincidentally went viral. Uh, it was a quizzing game on the mobile, and we hit about a million downloads on the Google Play Store. And we had about 120,000 daily users playing the game. And all of this happened within a span of about four months from us launching to us hitting a million downloads. Wow. And at that time, the team was uh, four engineers, two engineers on the server, two Android engineers. And uh, so at that point, just keeping the lights on was really, really hard. And uh, we used to get about 3,000 support emails a day telling us n number of things that were wrong about you know, the app or their experience. Mm. And in order to respond to 3,000 emails a day, we had to build a lot of support tools, admin tools to help our support engineers. And that's when, you know, this was 2018. And that's when we kind of decided that, you know, it's, it's 2018, there has to be a better way to build these admin panels. Why are we doing this from scratch again and again? And we ended up shutting the mobile game down and focused all our energies onto AppSmith. And the reason that we open sourced AppSmith as well was because we didn't find any good open source alternatives. We didn't find, we found a few sort of paid products out there, but we didn't find any good open source alternatives. And doing multiple startups, I know the amount of drudgery and the effort that is involved in building, you know, especially when you're starting out with a new product, the effort that is involved to build admin panels, dashboards, et cetera, from scratch each and every single time. And mm -hmm. that's why AppSmith uh, is a product for all those engineers who don't enjoy uh, creating these uh, CRUD dashboards or uh, API dashboards uh, from scratch again and again. Yeah. It's interesting that you chose the open source path. Now, I, I know this is a, a phenomenally popular uh, GitHub repository. Folks can can visit 
Uh, AppSmith.org, AppSmith is the repository, and it's I think it's got something like, uh, I'm going to say 2,000 forks. I mean, quite a few forks. What made you choose the open source path? So yeah, so I, I think the community, you know, to begin with, a big shout out to the community who've given us this much love, who've given us their faith. And that's why we are at about 2,000 forks, about 20,000 stars on GitHub today. The reason that we open sourced AppSmith was because from day one, it was a developer tool. Uh, we built it for developers to adopt. Uh, so it wasn't geared towards, you know, business analysts or product managers, et cetera. It was geared towards, you know, engineers. And the one thing that engineers absolutely love, that I also love, is open source. You know, very similar to, you know, sort of you guys at MongoDB as well, mm-hmm. where, you know, you, you give the database. Uh, open source is what allows developers to get their hands on the product very quickly without a lot of red tape. They can try it out. If they like it, then they can choose to then invest you know, more money, more time uh, into the product. So that's the biggest reason is that developers love open source and we just wanted to be where the developers are. So that's one. Mm-hmm. The other is uh, a lot of these platforms, uh, you know, whether it's local platforms or, or engineering platforms, end up being sort of closed source, which means that there is a big vendor lock-in. So if I was an engineer mm-hmm. and I was trying to plan for the next three years or five years of my company or my team, I would be very worried for, you know, any pricing changes, you know, what happens if the company shuts down, you know, what's going to happen. So being open source removes that vendor lock-in and developers or users of AppSmith can very safely build on top of AppSmith because even if the AppSmith, the company doesn't exist, the open source project always exists. That's Mm -hmm. one. And the last is, you know, being an open source project, as an engineer, you can always mold the project into your image. So if you think there is a bug, you think there's a feature missing, you don't have to wait for, you know, some company sitting somewhere in the world to actually go implement that feature. You can just go in and implement it yourself. And mm-hmm. uh, and at AppSmith, we kind of, we love, we have had a lot of contributors improve the project and we are very, very thankful to them. And any user, any developer can continue to do so. So that's why we went open source. And I think it's one of the best decisions that we made. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. And it's quite a successful project on GitHub. And I'm looking at all of the contributors. It's wonderful to see that. What has been the the most challenging thing about uh, launching and and building AppSmith? The first, I would say, was uh, when we started out with AppSmith, we were very, very naive. I think that's what you probably need in order to start something as daunting as like a, an application platform for, you know, or even a database, you know, for that matter. You need to be a little naive in what it takes. So initially we thought it's going to take us three, maybe six months, you know, to launch the first version of AppSmith that will just work. And oh boy, we were so wrong. We were so <laughs> wrong. Uh, we are three years in and we are still sort of uh, polishing the product. We're still getting into a point where I think we can do a lot better with the product itself. So I think the biggest challenge was a not seeing the underlying complexities that lie within an application platform itself. So where you need a mm-hmm. drag and drop interface, you, so you need the UI layer, you need an API integration layer, you need DB integrations to work, you need JavaScript to work, uh, you know, a, a JS engine uh, itself to work, and you need all mm-hmm. of this to work all the time because people are entrusting this tool with their some business critical applications. So mm-hmm. the, that was the first bit. The second, uh, I would say the, the really hard part was getting users to be able to execute arbitrary JavaScript code 
safely in a sandboxed environment. So in mm-hmm. AppSmith, for example, wherever you can write English, you can also write JavaScript. So English and JavaScript are very interchangeable. So which mm-hmm. means that you can just pepper the entire application with a combination of text and JavaScript together and AppSmith will figure everything out for you. So with this power comes a lot of responsibility, both for the developer and for us as a platform. So which means that in order for us to continue to stay performant, in order for us to continue to stay secure, just dealing with a JS engine underneath the hood, that has taken away a lot of you know people's youth, I would say, uh, within the team. Uh, yeah. People have had some gray hairs, they've lost some hair, trying to ensure that everything <laughs> just works. Uh, yeah. so, so I think those are the two biggest complexities that we did not foresee get us starting out. Yeah. So I do want to ask you about your revenue model. Now, obviously going open source, there's a lot of effort that goes into that. You do get some community contributions, which is good. But how is AppSmith making money or are you? Yes, we are making money. So we've actually, so we're very early in our journey of commercializing the project. And uh, we kind of hope to get to a point very soon where the project is self-sustainable and can run on, you know, completely on its own without any external sources of funding. So that's our first goal, obviously. And the way we kind of generate uh, revenue is uh, through, through monetizing some enterprise features, uh, such as single sign-on, audit logs, uh, you know, white labeling, etc. So these are features that larger teams or larger companies would probably be interested in. And as a thumb rule, we follow that you know, if a feature is useful to you know, a team of five developers, like a small startup, it goes into the community edition. We have absolutely no interest in monetizing the individual developer or a small team of developers. But mm. if it's useful to you know, maybe an IBM, then, then those features we will monetize. So, uh, yeah. so that's why we have a very clear sort of community and enterprise uh, model running. And uh, like I said, we are very early and we kind of hope to kind of over the next you know, year or two, uh, hope to kind of grow the, the incentives for large companies to, to actually convert to the paid model instead of just using the community edition. Mm-hmm. It's always been interesting, you know, working at MongoDB, I, I've been here, I guess, about seven years to see the shift in the contributions from the community. And I'm curious about AppSmith. What percentage of, of the feature sets uh, have been contributed by community work? So I'd say that as a ballpark, I would say maybe 2 to 3% of the code base has mm-hmm. been contributed uh, by external uh, contributors and not by the internal team. Hacktoberfest every year uh, is a very different uh, uh, you know, month. So Hacktoberfest, mm-hmm. it kind of li- literally flips around. So in the month of October, we get about 97, 98% of the code base written in the month of October is all external. So and I think that's fair and large other projects, uh, at least that I've read of, like GitLab, etc., have also published very similar sort of numbers. So we get a lot of contributions from the community, which a improve a lot of edge cases that we probably hadn't seen or we didn't know about. So those definitely kind of help the project uh, a lot uh, in terms of polish, in terms of uh, production capabilities. But large feature sets, uh, which require a lot of discussion, which require a lot of thought. Uh, we obviously do not expect uh, a lot of external contributors to kind of come in and you know give a large feature in, mm-hmm. but uh, they've for existing features we've gotten a lot of uh, a lot of bug fixes from them. 
Uh, I think the only two large, two or three large contributions we have is on the integrations front. So, so we had our Arango DB integration, our Redis DB integration, our Oracle DB integration. So a lot of these integrations have come from the community and a lot of uh, widgets, UI elements itself have come from the community. And, mm-hmm. uh, but the base platform itself is largely internal. Yeah, developed by employees of AppSmith, right? Yes, yes, I, that's a correct. Okay, so I, I want to double click on on AppSmith itself, and I want to maybe understand a little bit more about how it works. Now, you said that it's it's largely for use around creating internal dashboards, internal tool sets, and I'm curious how does the the model within AppSmith how is that able to to support a variety of of data models and even databases? How does that work? AppSmith is geared for self-hosting. So we want users to take our Docker container. It's a simple Docker container. Just drop it into any Linux machine inside your firewall, inside your VPC, and just literally do a Docker up, a Docker run. And uh, that just spins up the entire AppSmith engine. And all of the uh, apps that are built on AppSmith are literally just very large JSON files, which are incidentally hosted on MongoDB. So we, we've mm-hmm. been using MongoDB for the past you know, three years uh, within the project. And it's large NoSQL documents that are stored in MongoDB itself. And, and that is a big reason as to how we can, or we are able to easily support a variety of different application types, a lot of different integrations, is because we kind of try to leverage the NoSQL capabilities of uh, Mongo itself. And uh, the DB integrations itself, so we integrate with about, uh, I think, 17, 18 odd uh, databases, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. SQL, MongoDB, Redis, et cetera. All of these are built as plugins on top of the base platform. So it's very similar to how WordPress, for example, operates, where you get the base WordPress platform and you have these plugins that you can uh, you know, sort of install on top of the AppSmith base platform itself. So a lot of these integrations are actually plugins and they're geared to be running as plugins. So by and large, and so the way AppSmith then stores, takes this JSON metadata, and when a user tries to render the application itself through a shareable URL, so you can just ping URLs to each other, and you know, and that's how you kind of share applications with each other. And the moment a user tries to render that application through the URL, uh, the AppSmith engine converts this large JSON into HTML, CSS that the browser can understand. So, mm-hmm. so that is why you always need the AppSmith engine to be running on your Linux mm-hmm. box. And, uh, and that's the one that does all the transformations from the metadata stored in Mongo and converts it into HTML, CSS that the browser understands. Mm-hmm. So is it running its own web server and then it's a web application or how, yes. how does that, how does the, uh, what's the stack look like? So the stack, so the front end uh, code is written in React. The server side code, so there's half the AppSmith engine is on the browser running in React itself, mm-hmm. and half the AppSmith engine is on the server. The server is written in Spring Java, and mm-hmm. our backing database is, like I said, Mongo. So okay. the React app requests the server for, hey, I want the metadata for application one, two, three. Mm-hmm. The server fetches it from Mongo, returns it back to the client, which then actually does all the conversions that the browser understands. So in the in the Dockerized, in the container version, are you spinning up your own 
uh, local MongoDB instance? Yes. So we ship uh, what is called a fat container. So we have a couple mm. of uh, Java services. We have Mongo, we have Redis. So we kind of ship like batteries included. So <laughs> that way you don't need to kind of muddle around and, you know, find a different Mongo container or a Redis container. Mm-hmm. But for sort of production workloads, we do recommend people to either use Mongo Atlas itself mm-hmm. or have their own separate cluster on, on Mongo for data persistence uh, purposes so that even if your app server dies, your data is persisted and it's always safe. But uh, otherwise, by and large, uh, it's a batteries included uh, philosophy. So that was my my next question around converting from a local MongoDB instance to to using MongoDB Atlas. I would imagine there's there's probably some documentation. Where do folks go to learn how to do those types of customizations? So we have a ton of documentation at docs.appsmith.com. So I think that's the best place to kind of look for documentation around AppSmith. And in terms specifically, because you asked, uh, going from a local sort of embedded MongoDB container to Mongo Atlas, it's literally a one-line change, and AppSmith mm-hmm. will do the rest of the magic. So you don't have to worry about, you know, oh, what will happen to my data? Oh, this will happen or that will happen. No, just just change your, you know, go from MongoDB localhost colon 27017, just change to Mongo plus SRV, your URL, AppSmith, mm-hmm. just restart your container. AppSmith will do the magic uh, beyond that. Great. And, and and that's been our philosophy from like day one is to try and simplify a lot of this stuff because especially when it comes to data, people are very, very scared uh, as they should be. They should rightly be very scared about their data. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, moving to Atlas or uh, having a dedicated cluster that they are running is almost always a good idea. Now, so there's there's a cloud version of, of AppSmith. And what features of MongoDB are you leveraging from the service? So the the AppSmith managed version or the AppSmith cloud, as we call it, is hosted, you know, backed on Mongo Atlas itself, because uh, we believe in the business of uh, writing code. And we believe that Mongo does a great job of managing data. So we don't want to take data hassles and we just outsource all of that to Mongo Atlas. Mm-hmm. The features that we uh, use are actually quite minimal, I would say. So we are very poor users of the feature set that Mongo gives. So largely, it's uh, we do a lot of indexing. Uh, we do all our backups, our snapshotting, uh, you know, daily, weekly, monthly sort of snapshots uh, we do. For testing, we bring up a lot. Of, we actually use the snapshots a lot for testing sort of backwards compatibility. So whenever we have a new version of AppSmith, we spin up a week-old instance. So we spin up a Mongo cluster from a week-old snapshot, and we Mm -hmm. test it against that to ensure that every new feature that we are launching is always backwards compatible. So that's Mm -hmm. a big feature. I mean, that's the one feature I really love and thank Mongo Atlas for because it's made that process uh, really easy. Going forward from here, I think uh, we'd love to kind of use the Atlas search and the time series uh, is the next one on our list that we really want to leverage. I think MongoDB 5 introduced time series uh, databases as well. Mm-hmm. So that's that's next on our cards. Uh, we haven't gotten to it yet, but we plan to kind of leverage that very, very soon. So AppSmith is ideal for internal dashboards and, and internal apps. What's, the, what's a really good use case? What do you find your users doing with AppSmith most frequently? Right. So uh, AppSmith actually has a very broad 
uh, user base across industries, across use cases. I think some very good applications for users coming in is customer support dashboard where you want to get, for example, all your tickets from Zendesk, your order information from, say, Salesforce, and your user information from a custom Postgres or MongoDB. And you want to show all of that in a single dashboard. So Mm. customer support dashboard is a great use case. Similar sort of systems or operational systems such as uh, KYC or know your customer user dashboards where you upload your profile and somebody, a human, is looking at your profile and they may be approving or rejecting your account. So that's Mm -hmm. another sort of use case. The third, uh, a lot of operational sort of workflows get built on top of uh, AppSmith where, for example, a firm needs to move through like two departments or three departments. So let's say I'm in the customer service team. I approve the profile. It goes to the accounts team. They approve the profile. Then it goes to the finance team. They approve the profile. So a lot of such workflows also, uh, I think, get built. I think AppSmith really shines when you have multiple data sources to Mm -hmm. kind of combine data on. So you have an API, a database, and you want to show it all together. So that's one great sort of, whenever you find yourself doing that, I think AppSmith is a great fit. Uh, The other is any operational work that you're doing on top of your database. So you Mm -hmm. you have a Mongo or a Postgres database, and you want to very quickly just spin up a UI layer on top of that and actually just give it to your business user and say, oh, you know, I don't have time to write all the APIs right now, but here's a dashboard with authentication that works on all the CRUD operations for the DB Mm -hmm. out of the box. So you don't have to worry about installing a separate uh, DB whether it's PG admin or uh, Robo3D or et cetera, you don't have to worry mm-hmm. about doing that. You can give a, a clean UI to a business user who doesn't understand SQL or doesn't care about SQL. They can just click through your UI and operate on that data. So I think those are the two or three like main use cases. Yeah, I- I'm, I'm really shocked at how simple, you know, as you were talking, I, I just walked myself through creating my first app with AppSmith. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, just crazy how fast you can move. And you're even even offering uh, sample databases so I can get familiar with how the interface works. And, and what I did like was looking at integration with the multiple databases. So from within one internal app, I have the ability to connect not only multiple data sources from the same database, but also from a variety of databases. That's, uh, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, and uh, I think this is a very common use case uh, that happens within teams, within companies, whenever they're building admin panels, is just combining all this data. And uh, that's actually a gap that we saw like a few years ago. We didn't find any products that were doing this well. And mm-hmm. we were kind of hand-rolling this out again and again. And uh, that's why we ended up building AppSmith, is because just about every company has at least two databases. You have one... Yeah key value store or a NoSQL store and an SQL store. Invariably, mm-hmm. that's like 95% of the companies out there. So, And you're constantly joining the data between these two layers. And AppSmith makes that really simple. Yeah. So what about this concept of, of triggers? Now, MongoDB supports triggers in our backend database as a service. I would imagine when you're incorporating and integrating multiple data stores, it would be helpful to have this concept of a on insert trigger. Does AppSmith support something like that? No, we don't. But what you can do sort of technically, not something that uh, we've seen a lot of use for, sort of use cases for, but what you can technically do is configure the trigger 
on say MongoDB using the AppSmith interface itself. Mm. So anything that you can write in the Mongo command, or if you can send it as a raw command to MongoDB, you can do it within AppSmith. So using the API, you can use the API. So we expose mm-hmm. the raw interface itself. So anything that the Mongo Bison document supports, AppSmith supports. So you can mm-hmm. configure the trigger itself, and it's so it's like a one-time thing. So on you know on user insert, do this other thing. So mm-hmm. it's a one-time thing that you want to do. So you can just use AppSmith. Like I've I've started to use AppSmith a lot because uh, to be very honest, I find the apologies for this, but I find the Mongo JSON or the Bison document really hard to remember <laughs> or or yeah. use. So I end up using uh, AppSmith a lot as my UI layer to uh, Mongo. Yeah. Especially when I just want to do like some very quick queries and some very quick stuff. Well, I'll tell you, I'm I'm just fiddling here while we're talking, and the one thing I'm I'm really finding quite fun to work with is the widgets and building forms. I, I would imagine a lot of folks are are just building front end forms with with AppSmith. Uh, it just seems really seamless and easy to do. Oh uh, yeah, uh, forms and tables. Forms to input data, tables to see the data. That just forms mm-hmm. like 80% or 90% of your admin panel. It's just forms yeah. and uh, tables. Yeah, So uh, and that's the other sort of big thing which I think AppSmith makes really simple and it's a very common use case is A, getting a form on top of your database to insert mm-hmm. or update your data. And yeah. secondly, to trigger an API based on a form input. So you want to insert data into, let's say, your Mongo, and I want to send out an email or let's say I just want to hit a Salesforce API and tell them that you know a new user has been created, uh, something mm-hmm. like that. So this is very hard to do or much harder to do than it should be on a much more, let's say, a Google Forms so mm. or, or Typeform or et cetera, which don't allow you to hit these custom APIs or insert into your own database itself. Mm-hmm. So that's a big use case for AppSmith where where users just end up creating. Like I, I've seen a lot of apps within AppSmith where users literally just have one form and that's it. And when we reached out to the users and we said, hey, why do you just have like one page and one form? And he's like, there was no other product that was creating this form on my Postgres or my MongoDB. That's all that I really wanted. I just, I don't mm-hmm. want any fancy features. I just want a form that inserts into Mongo. So yeah, that's a big use case. Yeah. Well, it, it is an attractive, very easy to use interface in, in AppSmith. So what do you want to say to uh, to folks that haven't tried AppSmith yet? To folks who haven't tried AppSmith yet, I'd say you're wasting a lot of time building admin panels and you should definitely give AppSmith a shot. Uh, you should try us out. We are at appsmith.com or on GitHub. You can just search for AppSmith. Uh, you'll find us. Uh, we are very, very easy to get up and running. So you can get to your first CRUD page within sort of five minutes of you connecting your database. So uh, I think it's really, really powerful. And you can get a lot done. And you have to kind of just try to believe it. Give it a shot. Uh, it's like 10 minutes of your life. Give it a shot. You may like it. Uh, you may not like it. And that's okay. But my bets are on that you will find use for it. Great. Well, is there anything else you want to share with the audience before we begin to wrap up? Arpit, this has been a great discussion. No, this has been a great conversation, uh, Michael. You know, thank you so much. To everybody, I, I just say, you know, I don't know when the episode is going to get actually air, but Hacktoberfest is around the corner. If you're looking for a great open source project to contribute to, 
we are very very welcoming to new contributors mm-hmm. new and old alike so do check out appsmith during hacktober fest and uh, we'd love to uh, help you contribute your uh, first pull request to appsmith yeah so are there issues that are tagged uh, specifically for first pr or or something like that uh, yes we have a lot of good first issues and we're kind of compiling that list uh, you know or improving that list as well so if you just search on appsmith issues you can just filter by good first issues and you should find something that's worthwhile and it might mm-hmm. be, and it's typically a little tiny thing that works somebody out there and you'll be improving <laughs> yep. that user's life just a little bit yeah and hacktoberfest so how do folks get more information about hacktoberfest i i think a great place to kind of get started is hacktoberfest.digitalocean.com mm-hmm. so digitalocean i think spearheads this uh, initiative so that would be a great place to kind of get started and as and when you know october 2022 rolls around i think there'll be a lot more literature uh, across the board whether it's on twitter or reddit or discord etc and uh, you just google for hacktoberfest you should find a lot of information about this uh, fantastic program yeah we'll check the show notes if you're listening and and you're interested and you can actually head on over to hacktoberfest.com that's a, a great place to start if you're curious about contributing to open source projects. It's a great, great way to get involved and uh, and really move forward uh, some of the goals of these open source companies. Arpit, thank you so much for spending time with me. It's been a great discussion. Uh, thank you so much, Michael. Uh, thank you so much for having me on today. It was an absolute pleasure. great conversation there and some good validation from Mike in the middle who whilst chatting with Arpit was building his first dashboards in AppSmith amazing for anybody with various sources of data and who needs to generate regular reports or dashboards AppSmith seems as if it can certainly take some of the load off your plate for you do check it out as ever there are links in the show notes to anything referenced in the podcast Speaking of items referenced in the podcast, at the end of their conversation, Mike and Arpit discussed Hacktoberfest. Hacktoberfest is a month-long celebration of open-source projects, their maintainers, and the entire community of contributors. And as this episode is only airing at the end of October, it's probably a bit late to join in now, but we felt it was important to leave in for our community of listeners and for those who may not be familiar with Hacktoberfest. But do check out hacktoberfest.com and get ready now for 2023. Don't say we didn't tell you. In October, November, and December, we have mongodb.local events running in San Francisco, Dallas, London, and Toronto. You can find out more at mongodb.com forward slash events. And the best part, all mongodb.local events are free to attend. Local events are in-person, single-day events filled with educational breakout sessions, announcement-packed presentations, customer stories, and free one-on-one Ask the Experts consulting sessions, along with networking opportunities and much more. Thanks again for listening as always. And if you did enjoy this episode and haven't done so already, please do remember to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help us, and we very much appreciate it. So from me, Shane McAllister, and the rest of the podcast team, until next time, do take care, and thanks for listening.